Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. Michael Pinter is the co-founder of CleanWatts, a company that aims to reframe society's relationship with energy by unlocking the benefits of the global transition where it matters most, locally. With over two decades of international experience in industrial settings and financial services, Michael remains driven by curiosity and values of inclusion, integrity, and resilience. He's a strong advocate of humility, openness, and empathy at work, and he's really committed to building a world in which access to affordable energy is decentralized, digitalized, and democratized. Michael, welcome to Energetic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Michael. So can you tell us about your journey in the energy sector and what led you to Clean Woods? Sure, absolutely. So uh, actually, after my undergrads, so I'm 53 now, so it, this goes back quite a ways. But after my undergrads, I uh, completed my studies with a master's in environmental technology, which uh, sadly, I never put to use. Uh, as careers went for the first 25 years of my life, I had an itinerary that uh, took me from one step to another into a different direction. And I kept an eye on, on the whole sort of, you know, then global warming morphed into the, the climate change discussion, et cetera, et cetera, throughout my 25 years of work in corporate environments, both at Dow and at GE. And I think 2018 or so, I was getting to a point where I was kind of approaching my 50th birthday, like two years out. And I thought, you know, gosh, I've done a lot, but I've, I've really kind of not aligned my efforts to something deeply meaningful to me. And of course, I, I knew that a, a big part of the climate sort of change discussion was really relegated to emissions largely drawn to or connected with energy. And, uh, and I thought, gosh, there's got to be value that I can deliver in a context that's perhaps different than the one I've lived in. And I called up uh, James, who's our executive chairman for Clean Watts. And uh, I've known James since 2003. He's been a, an avid clean tech venture capital sort of active member of that world for a very long time, uh, about three decades or so. Uh, but we never worked together. I just knew he had a great, great network and and a lot of investments in areas of clean tech. I called him up and I said, "Look, I think in a couple of years I'll be I'll be ready for my next step, and I'd like to allocate all of my time and energy into a smaller construct and uh, to help it grow internationally. And you know, it'd be great if I could align that effort with something that really kind of ties into." climate change and energy. And uh, he said, look, it just so happens that I've just invested in a small company uh, called Virtual Power Solutions in Portugal. It's a software company. They do behind the meter energy efficiency optimization. They've got a pretty robust portfolio of clients from manufacturing environments to hotels, to banks, even residentials, right, through their software platform. And, uh, and they do visualization, management, control of assets, et cetera, et cetera. I said, well, that sounds interesting. He said, why don't you hop on a plane and go see them? Yeah, I got to know Basilio, who's one of our five co-founders, and uh, he and George Landek had actually created uh, Virtual Power Solutions back in 2012, following IPO of another company that they had actually founded. And I got to know them, and and over the course of the following 18 months, we just continued our dialogues. I got to know Luisa Matos, who's today our head of uh, product and innovation, also a co-founder of the team. So we're five co-founders in total. 
And uh, by the end of 2019, I had uh, you know reached the conclusion that actually this was uh, just a really exciting area to get into. The company had developed a lot of neat research projects on front of the meter activities, right? So peer-to-peer trading, aggregation of loads for flexibility, and a lot of other sort of neat activities that kind of made me think, gosh, the small team of then 30 people was punching above its weight. And so I, I pulled the plug on corporate, left GE in uh, December 2019, end of the year, and uh, started in earnest uh, the following month you know, with this new sort of challenge. And uh, we spent, uh, ultimately, the pandemic hit right afterwards, right? So I was then based in Budapest. Uh, the team was obviously all based in Portugal, but because we were all working from home, it didn't really matter, right? So we, just, we were just all working from our own desks at home. And we spent all of 2020 and uh, uh, pretty much all of 2021 restructuring, rebranding, repositioning the company, and me personally going out there and looking for growth capital, right, to help us sort of carve our way forward. And during that period, it was when we kind of came to the conclusion and sort of spring 2021 that, you know, while we could be looking at various verticals, right, like, you know, hospitals and airports and banks and sort of replicating that success in Portugal in other jurisdictions, there was one particular part of the landscape which was coming up fast, which was this whole concept of energy communities, right, which actually had, you know, its, its own founding in the European directive. So the Renewable Energy Directive I'm referring to, right? And it just so happened that Portugal was among the first countries to come out of the gates with the transposal of that directive into national law. And, uh, you know, we, Basilio, James, myself, Luisa, you know, kind of looked at each other and said, you know, gosh, there's, there's got to be a way that we can perhaps drop all the other battles and just focus on this one battle to really kind of strike out of this area and say, how do we remove friction complexity from the origination and ultimately the management of these so-called energy communities? Yeah, because the energy communities, they seem quite straightforward, uh, like uh, powered by the people, to the people, this kind of very community approach, but they are actually very, very, very complex. And they come from kind of theoretical experiments rather than practical experiments. So you have to combine the two. And from what I've understood from Clean Watts and that you're going to explain now, it is possible to actually have a proper business model behind energy communities. And you've been experimenting them in Portugal, but as we can hear, you're quite a citizen of the world. So you are also trying to build them elsewhere in Europe and perhaps at a global level, where will Cleanwood stop? We'll see that later. <laughs> I think that's that's a great sort of uh, segue, right? I mean, when, when we first started looking at the concept of the renewable energy community, everyone wants, you know, locally sourced, cle- cheap, clean energy. And by the way, I should also caveat that this is pre-Ukraine, right? So this is uh, sort of, you know, we're, we're also still looking at uh, energy poverty, right? At the time, Something, you know, in the ballpark of 55 million people in Europe were affected by energy poverty, like pre-pandemic. And that number grew astonishingly throughout the pandemic. And then, of course, in the, in the wake of, uh, of the war in Ukraine. And so the first stumbling block is just the how do you garner enough capital to throw up, you know, 200 kilowatts or 500 kilowatts of capacity and solar PV capacity to, you know, ignite locally sourced cheap energy, right? Green energy, right? And so we, you know, we kind of put our thinking caps on blank sheet of paper and said, all right, well, 
how do we go about and build this, right? So in a very project management sort of manner, we started building all the different steps. And uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, the best way to start was with what we then labeled an anchor client, right? So in the clean watts jargon, an anchor client is basically a rooftop. It's an establishment. Like, so it could be a commercial industrial company. It could be a, a municipal building. It could be an office building. It doesn't matter really what it, what it is. The, the main defining characteristic of it is that it's a large surface area with comparatively little energy consumption underneath that rooftop, right? So you're, you're creating excess by default, excess to be shared within the community. And that was a good starting point for us to sort of test this out. In August, 2021, we actually launched our first ever energy community in Portugal, in fact, the country's first energy community. And that was in uh, Miranda do Douro. And uh, very small capacity, I think it was like around 40 kilowatts or something. And, uh, but it proved the point that we could actually do this, right? So number one, we created the capacity on that rooftop. And number two, through our platform, we're able to connect virtually all the, the smart meters of the community members, right? And that's how they benefit effectively from being connected to that excess capacity. Over the course of the following 18 months until December last year, we just kind of, we'd opened up the floodgates really. I mean, we ended up being like, Demand is far outstripping our capacity to run right now because we're, you know, we're just inundated with uh, requests from either prospect anchor clients or would be, could be, want to be energy community members. And so we put that whole machinery in play and just, you know, success begot success. We, we got to a point where by the end of last year, we closed off the year with, you know, close to 40 megawatts of backlog in aggregated capacity, rooftop capacity. So just by using some rooftops that previously were not exploited. Not exploited. Like basically, instead instead of, I mean, uh, constructing new power plants uh, in natural places or whatever, you use existing rooftops. That's right. It's the quickest way to yeah. mark will, right? Because if you, have to, if you have to go to an open field and wait for the interconnect, you're adding another layer of time, right? Which, which we don't want to, you know, we want to reduce the amount of time and friction and complexity. And so the natural place to look at is large surface areas that allow for that capacity to be built. And so with the anchor client, we end up signing long-term contracts, right? So energy as a service for them. So because it's behind the meter, it's obviously much, much cheaper for them to get that form of energy, right? So that's a, an added benefit for them. The fact that it's zero upfront cost is also a benefit for them. It's not a CapEx discussion for them. It's an OpEx discussion, right? Why is it? Can you clarify what, what it means? No. Like there's no, no upfront cost? Yeah. So they don't have to actually invest in that physical infrastructure. What we're looking for okay. is a long-term energy contract. So it could be 15 years, 20 years. And that's what they're also looking for. At the end of the day, they're not looking for the infrastructure. They're looking for the benefits of the infrastructure, right? Yeah. So we're offering that benefit as a service. And we do that by marrying, uh, you know, our, we have partnerships you know, with investors that are like-minded and that want to allocate their capital to expedite and simplify and amplify the energy transition. So we've, we very deliberately look at investors that want to you know, work at market speed with us on this mission, right? So they deploy the capital, we house that capital, we deploy that capital for that infrastructure. Uh, we don't commingle funds so we can work with various investors uh, simultaneously. And so that's how things get started. And then as we go ahead and build that infrastructure and prepare the documentation for regulatory approval, we're also bringing in expressions of interest and ultimately contracts also with 
community members that want to sign up and be members of that community, right? So the benefit for them is is really reflective of how the transposal of the Renewable Energy Directive at a European level has happened at a national level, right? So in Portugal, okay. I'm going to grossly simplify here, but the transmission charges uh, are to an extent waived, right? Because it's local, local energy for local consumers. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately that translates into roughly about a 25 to 35% discount on the energy prices that a community member will take, okay. will receive rather. And that's distinctly different, say, for instance, from the transposal of the very same directive in Italy, where the government in Italy has actually extended a 118 to 128 euros per megawatt hour incentive that's applied on the lowest of the two, either locally consumed or locally generated energy, right? And so that incentive flows through our operating system into the community members, right? So as per design, right? So... And who are the community members? Are they other businesses or? Yeah, it's a spectrum of society. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we've got community member communities that have demographics just like any other mm-hmm. environment, right? So you, you might have a pocket of residential uh, community members. You'll have some small, medium-sized businesses, perhaps a school, an association, and so on and so forth, right? So a lot of different sort of types of community members are out there. And uh, if you look at the perimeter, when you've got your anchor client, you're, you know, you look left, you look right, you're like, gosh, you know, there's a bit of everything in here, right? So every one of them has a different voltage, right? So, and, and because of that, they're also relegated to a different price range in terms of their energy price. But either way, and broadly speaking, the community members have the benefit of seeing some of their energy costs abated, translating to roughly about 8 to 30%. Okay, so so let's say if a family decides to subscribe, uh, they they can do it, and they they get a contract with you or with uh, another kind of. They get a contract supply. with us. They also have remember that that these are not islands, right? So energy communities are still connected to the grid on the broader scale, right? So okay. imagine this is kind of like a, it's an and discussion. It's not an or discussion, right? It's not a binary. Okay. You're either on the grid or you're in an energy community. This is actually yeah. a head nod to what I think is going to be a defining characteristic worldwide for the grid, right? Partly driven by price points on the generation and storage side, but also driven by the fact that you now have heating, cooling, transport, everything is going electric, right? So in the last 150 years, I think we've gotten to like 27,000 terawatt hours of electricity. We're moving to 50,000 in the arc of the next 20 years. So that's a non-negligible amount of pressure on the lowest part grid, low voltage part, right? So you need smart, distributed, energy networks that work you know in unison with all these assets and with the broader sort of uh, the, the the broader challenge which is to to decarbonize at the same time right so it's a non-negligible amount of effort to do this and to do it right and that's why I kind of mm-hmm. it makes me smile a little bit that there are some people out there that still think that the energy community is something that you know if you and I were neighbors would be like hey let's build some infrastructure and, and manage it. And I, th- I think the reality is that you quickly get into a very complex landscape mm-hmm. of aggregating loads, flexibility services, allocation of funds, presuming that you and I don't have the capital available to invest in 200 kilowatts worth of capacity or 40, me- 40 kilowatts of capacity, right? Even mm-hmm. layers, right? And so you end up kind of concluding that the only way that that distributed, smart, distributed network works is if companies like CleanWatts come to the picture and help smooth out those kinks, right? Remove yeah. complexity and switch on all these additional value streams. Like Portugal, for instance, right now doesn't have, you know, you can't really talk about congestion management or capacity markets as you would in Italy, 
And so aggregating small, medium-sized loads for flexibility services is something we are already exploring in Italy. We're, we're also looking at uh, you know, aggregation of excess capacity that's generated to be able to parcel that up and then channel it to the wholesale market at optimized prices. And we can also wonder about batteries or... Completely, completely. Generation, yeah. storage, and consumption. So if you, if you scratch the surface of that to any depth, you'll soon realize that it's unimaginable to do all of that considering that you and I have day jobs, right? Mm, that, yeah. That's a whole new sector that's opening up, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was recently talking with colleagues about the um, rev upcoming revision of the uh, energy directive. The European Commission wants to revise it and they are, for instance, loopholes on what could happen if we decide, you and I as neighbors, to decide to peer-to-peer -peer our energy. And for the time being, this seems to be one of the ideas developed at an intellectual level, but in practice, you know, I come from the consumer protection side. So in practice, I'm like, yeah, but what happens? What happens in practice? That's I mean, the governance around all of that. How does how do you, how do you, yeah. the trade is always good. And is the trade really happening and all this? Like it's, yeah, exactly. It really, it's actually, you know, it makes me smile, as I said before, to think that, you know, some people are still thinking that that's kind of the way to go is to make it entirely manageable by citizens for citizens. I think that that speaks to perhaps a lesser level of knowledge about the complexities that are at play. I absolutely uh, relate to that. And uh, just to tell you a personal story, yesterday I got some solar uh, panels installed on my balcony. We Hi. can do that in Italy. I got two of them. I ordered them five months ago and I received them yesterday. Hi. And honestly, I couldn't have installed them myself. I played Lego every day, but I couldn't be able to to install them myself. It just it's just too complex and it's also electricity. Electricity, I mean if you don't do things right, everything can can just burn. We had a conversation a few weeks ago with um Teresa Griffin, who is a member of FEEDS, it's the organization that leads the conversation on domestic electrical safety. But that's just one of the things it's, it's beyond the electricity sector. It's about safety, safety in your home. And that's why you need reliable parties, such as professionals, such as clean watts, to also set up this kind of systems that actually work and there is proper maintenance and there is proper follow-up in case something is not working well. Yeah. And I think, I think you're, you're touching on, on another aspect of this, which is the actual build of the infrastructure. So we actually, yeah. when we chose to really allocate all of our energies and efforts on the local energy market landscape and specifically communities, we knew full well that local is the operative word there. And so while CleanWatts intends to be local in select jurisdictions where the legal frameworks allow us to deliver the value that we think we can, I'm not confused. We're not confused about the need to work with local parties, right? So mom and pop installers and electricians and EPCs that are medium sized to small, right? So these are the local parties that already know that landscape, right? So they, they, they're reputable companies with, you know, and they're, they're there local. So they work with us to actually construct that infrastructure, which we direct. So we're kind of the orchestrators of the effort, but insofar as actually being locally there as a trustworthy face and a, and a name that means something to that local community, that's deeply important to us, right? So we value deeply the the relationships that we build with those type of parties because they're the first sort of, you know, interface with the Clean Watts experience. Once you're up and running though, and this gets to your example of the two solar panels, like so in a not too distant future, Marine, you're gonna have 
you know, you're going to have your, your heat pump. You're going to have an EV charging station. You're going to have uh, potentially an interest in, you know, allocating some of your heavier energy loads to be activated on the capacity markets, right? So think of it this way. All of that extra sort of redesigning of the relationship you have with energy, there's no way that you could possibly sort of carve out time from your busy day to sit there and sort of, you know, optimize your energy loads in function of uh, tariffs, let alone even needs, right? So from a grid perspective, as I mentioned earlier, as heating, cooling, and transport goes electric, we society need to actually redesign our relationship with all those loads because the alternative, frankly, is to uproot every single nook and cranny of our urban landscape and rural landscape to retrofit larger and greater capacity, sort of everything from cables to infrastructure, right? Larger infrastructure, right? So that's untenable, especially given the timeline we're looking at for, you know, the decarbonization journey we're on. So you really need to sort of recognize that that this whole space requires candidly an armada of companies like CleanWatts at a global level, right? Yeah. So it's really the challenge is to have uh, more competitors for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, that's another thing that makes me smile is, you know, I, I get, you know, I look across the table sometimes and I see parties that are kind of inching their way into the same space that we're in and they're like, you know, cautious and cagey about what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, there's 59 gigatons of emissions we got to deal with, right? Mm. This is, yeah. the challenge is enormous, right? Yeah. And if anyone in this room thinks that, you know, this is a, a winner takes all market, they're gravely mistaken, right? Mm. Time is our biggest enemy right now. You know, I kind of think, the more the merrier. Bring them in, right? Let's because actually the more the more critical mass there is of companies looking to fast forward this part of the transition. You know, I think the better off we'll all be, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really really interesting because somehow having more competition, more actors, more stakeholders, more parties, it also rebalances the overall governance discussion and really the kind of um, power relationship, pun intended between the different parties also because, I mean, it becomes even more complicated for people to just uh, navigate the market and just understand who's in charge of what, uh, because maybe they, they grew up having just one supplier, one vertically integrated supplier who is producing uh, nuclear power and then distributing to the, your home, etc. And that is totally not the way forward somehow. And it's really difficult and that's one of the things we try to address in, in this podcast series. It's really difficult how to create the narrative and create the conversation around the fact that energy is changing because the world is changing and we have to adapt and we have to make progresses every day so that everyone gets better energy, a better future, or even sometimes just simply a future. Because it's also about that. It's also about climate change. Maybe it's mostly about climate change. Absolutely. I think associations like uh, Smarten in Brussels, we're also active members of Smarten. We're active members of World Energy Council, right? So I think organizations like those have a really big role to play to sort of garner the opinions and thoughts and inputs and contributions of players like CleanWatts and many, many others. But also on the flip side of that, work hand in hand with policymakers, uh, regulators, folks that are really kind of a little bit, sadly, I think a little bit trailing here, right? So, so I think we, we need faster uptake of this from the policy and regulatory side to sort of create the landscape in a, in a more sort of, in a manner that actually uh, invites speed and scale. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I guess the the whole uh, discussion around consumer protection has to be also adapted and has to go a little bit faster because if you don't know your rights, if you don't uh, know who to turn to when some something is not working, that undermines the trust in the system and undermines the willingness to participate and to just be proper a consumer, a citizen, uh, really an active person. And about really this point, engagement, how is Clean Watts working on uh, involving people who are traditionally marginalized or excluded from uh, decision-making processes? Yeah, so this gets into sort of a little bit of the redefining one's relationship with energy, right? So I would say that the first thing that meets the eye for the untrained is the energy bill. There's nothing out there that's as concrete and as unequivocal as how much you're paying at the end of the month or the end of the period in terms of your energy, right? In the past, energy bills were almost, I think that maybe there was some like effort by some companies to actually deliberately make those bills very complex, right? So <laughs> I remember bills being like, you know, energy bills being like multi-page things right? where you had to like mm-hmm. go through like five, six pages of line items to understand all the different components. Some of that has simplified in the last uh, few years, uh, but I think there's more to be done there. So, you know, I, I do think that companies like CleanWatts have a responsibility in respect of ramping up the energy literacy, right, mm-hmm. into the communities that we serve. And we do that from a variety of different angles, right, from, from local events to engagements uh, with particular municipal authorities and, and things of that nature. So we, we organize ourselves to ensure that we're also helping to educate. But really the engagement that we most prefer is obviously our, our heart is digital, right? So we do a fair amount of, of our sort of upscaling and upskilling through our digital platform, right? So we, because our platform, so CleanWatts OS, right, the operating system itself, has both behind the meter and front of the meter capabilities. On the behind the meter side, both our residential and our commercial industrial interfaces are designed to make it simpler for people to understand Mm -hmm. the functioning of their energy loads, to be able to understand the impact of when something is switched on or off, when something Mm -hmm. is used, et cetera, et cetera. And so we feel that those are the first baby steps, which are the obvious part of the journey. Once you start getting into that realm though, you're not too far away from creating other incentive-driven sort of activities, right? So, hey, you know, there's a bit of uh, a capacity, either glut or deficit, right, in Mm -hmm. the area where you're living. And so Sunday afternoon would be a great time to charge your car or to run your loads, et cetera, et cetera. So we can actually drive a lot of behaviors with those community members that they would otherwise not know, right? And Mm -hmm. marry that sort of broader network view with the local energy equation view, right? Supply and demand and help people sort of uh, get engaged at that level. Some companies call that gamification. I I prefer sort of viewing that as just redefining the the relationship we have with energy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we used to peak off peak tariffs with uh, running your appliances at night uh, or something because it was cheaper with prices. And a few weeks ago, we had a conversation with the Adapt founder, Adrien, and he was saying that we, you have to think beyond that because there is also the, the carbon impact of your electricity consumption. And if you don't use electricity when it comes from renewable sources, well, 
maybe your contract still allows you to pay for a cheaper price, but it's not good for the planet. Yeah, yeah, he's he's absolutely right, and I think that's that's the triangulation that I think companies like his and ours and others need to sort of you know really focus on, which is part of this energy literacy landscape, right? So really kind of uh, helping all of us become not experts, but at least knowledgeable enough to know that there's a difference, right? Between, so even, even you know, as we go towards electric cars, I had mentioned that earlier, when is the right time to actually recharge? Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think that that's what I see uh, being part of this. The other last piece I'd say on this is as all the other elements around uh, capacity markets and um, flexibility, resiliency, et cetera, et cetera, come into play at local community level. I imagine small, medium-sized businesses and even residentials to an extent will be, you know, in a not too distant future. I mean, candidly, this is happening right now and we're no longer in sandbox environments, right? So this is really happening where we actually start to activate loads that until just a few years ago, we would never have been seeing, right? So in the past, resiliency has been and balancing generally has been relegated to large loads, right? So cement manufacturers, steel manufacturers, heavy industry, right, to stabilize the grid. We're rapidly moving to, again, it's an and discussion, not an or discussion, right? So that's still there. But on top of that, we now have to go dig deeper into the grid and say, okay, well, now what about that bank of fridges at that supermarket? What about, you know, that HVAC system in that airport? What about, like, so, so we can start to look at those kind of loads through that same lens and say, hey, we can actually aggregate all these different loads, get to that, and then you know, parcel it up, package it up, and submit it into grid resiliency. So th- that's going to open up a whole new relationship with physical world assets, right? So companies yeah. will no longer look at those assets as just a cost. They might even be a revenue generator to an extent, right? Yeah. We had a conversation a few weeks ago about uh, smart charging and smart charging infrastructure and the way the electric cars could were actually basically uh, batteries on wheels. And they could uh, feed back to the system. And it's exactly what you were saying. It's just that there are many, many tools that we could use. And somehow, I think, the, well, we kind of agree that the, the technology is mature. It's here. But people need to change their habits. So is it like the biggest challenge you are facing? So I think we're benefiting a great deal by the fact that, you know, climate change is now something on everyone's mind every day. So there's, you know, we're, we're, I think the broader context is no longer something we have to sort of, you know, shine a light on. It's just there, right? And so that's already helping us open up those discussions in a very meaningful way, tangibly. I think energy literacy is where we would spend a little bit more time, and that's where I think we should. My sense is that there's never enough that can be done in that area. Yeah. I'm not sure I would call it a challenge, right? If I, if you ask me, if if you ask me to point to where the challenges are in our, you know, in our landscape. I would say that the parties that are outside our control that are slow to the start are on the regulatory side, right? So I think that <laughs> world over, we're seeing this. We're seeing it in the States. We're seeing it in Portugal. We're seeing it in Italy. We're seeing it in, in various countries in Europe. There's a lot of lip service to the urgency around you know decarbonizing our economy and moving to clean energy and shifting things, et cetera, et cetera. And, and certainly the policymakers are working their bit. But when it gets down to the brass tacks of things, how long does it take for an approval to come back from, say, DGG in Portugal or GSD in Italy, right? I think Italy is actually perhaps even more faster than, than, than Portugal at this juncture, but that's neither here nor there. I, I just, my sense is that all the regulatory authorities in every country, 
should carry that onus or responsibility. They should be carrying the brunt, the weight of the speed at which we can travel societally. Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing we're looking for, right? Is once we got the green light, we can move forward and start unleashing all this benefit and above all, moving the needle really on the decarbonization side. So policymakers, great. Regulators is where I think my eyes are set right now. Like they, they have to actually, they got to come forward with their goods, right? Fast. Yeah. They got to be 21st century about things. Things can't sit yeah. on their desk for months. That's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Okay. So let's work with the, with the regulators as well to, to yeah. make them kind of uh, updated also on the, the requirements. Yeah, at the end um, of the day, policy is only so good as its implementation. And its implementation happens yeah. at regulatory level, right? So the approval level, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. I learned a lot uh, today. Just one final question. One of the biggest uh, opportunity coming in 2023 or something that you are really hopeful for this year, what would it be? So we're, we're working on a lot of really, really neat things in 2023. We're, we're working in uh, northeast of the U.S. We're working in California. We've got some really neat projects underway in both those areas. And I think Italy is going to be huge for us. I mean, there's, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in Italy and uh, the opportunities we're uncovering and working on right now. I think Iberia is going to keep traveling very fast, Portugal being the springboard from which we started. I would say that what I'm really looking for this year is overall greater and deeper alignment between all the different parties that have a vested interest in seeing this part of the transition work faster and with less kinks in it, right? So I find that two, three years ago when I was talking to investors for our first growth round of investment, when I talked about local energy markets and communities, it was just, you know, their eyes would glaze over, right? And, and mm. people will be like, yeah, but that's in like 10 years time. That's not now, right? And it's impressive the amount of change that's happened in the last two, three years, right? It's just impressive. Yeah. Now it's like, I'm, I'm knocking on open doors. It's just crazy. And uh, now I, I think what we need to see now is a movement from the acknowledgement to action, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really, I'm gunning for a lot more action by all parties, right? So that's what I'm looking at this 2023. Yeah, more action in including and mostly from regulators to enable yeah, uh, the change to happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's a broad landscape, right? So infrastructure folks, yeah. capital folks like financial capital, we're fortunate to be now working with parties that are really like-minded. And I just think that we need mm -hmm. those and more companies like CleanWatts focused on this part because it's a heavy lift. It really is. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Michael, for this uh, lovely conversation. And uh, I'll be sure to follow everything in what does uh, in, the, in the next years. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.